Are you living the crazy life of a sports parent? This is Sports Parenthood, the podcast packed with cool conversations with sports people, coaches and professionals for rookie sports parents just like you. You'll hear nuggets of gold in every episode with your hosts, fellow sports parents, John and Tiffany Bonacera. Yeah, it was just mind-blowing. It blew my mind and, yeah, it's just the same thing. It's just history repeating. You can hear the conviction in Sarah Jamison's voice. An Australian middle-distance runner, three-time Olympian and Commonwealth Games silver medalist in what was a monumental race in the 1,500 metres in Melbourne in 2006. And Sarah went on to compete as an elite athlete until she was 35 years of age. You remember that race in Melbourne in 2006, John? 100% I do. Uh, <laughs> Tiffany and I were fortunate to be in the MCG that night and to see that race live in front of a monster crowd. Mm-hmm. And uh, it typified everything, Tiff, that you've always told me about Sarah as a competitor. She's a great competitor. And just, just how tough she was. And for those that haven't seen it, YouTube it, the Women's 1500 Metres Melbourne Com Games, because she's climbing all over the leaders and she's stuck and boxed in and she's shoulders away into the clear. And she gives us some really good insight from a personal perspective, both before mm. and after the race. Yeah, it was good to hear what, what she did have to say as, you know, going through that firsthand. Ne- yeah, and you'll need to listen to hear it. <laughs> as a junior and senior athlete, Sarah and I competed against each other and we both represented Australia at the 2005 World Cross Country Championships. I reached out to Sarah after reading an article she wrote on kids in athletics, which really resonated with me and John, and we wanted to find out more. For Sarah, who's now the head coach at Perth Running Club and a mother of four herself, watching parents on the sidelines or trackside as it may be is a real blast from the past. And that's what prompted her to write this article in the first place. It's really thought-provoking and primarily because Sarah, who is someone who's obviously committed her life to athletics, firstly as an athlete and now as a coach, actually advocates for running less. Mm -hmm. And that's why you should be listening because she really knows what she's talking about. We began our conversation with Sarah about her own start in sport. Hi guys, thanks for having me on. Um, Yeah, I started in little athletics when I was eight years of age. My next door neighbour, they were just starting up a little athletics club and they just said, do you want to come down? And I didn't really know what it was, but was was a sporty kid and loved, yeah, just loved to do anything really and went down and I think you get that little taste of success and you, you like what you're good at. So I just kept doing it. You're an Olympian and Commonwealth Wealth Games silver medalist and held the Australian record over 1,500 metres for many years and you're currently head coach at Perth Running Club. What prompted you to write the article, Kids Running, Stop the Madness? I, I think as a junior competing and then going on to a senior athlete, there were always people that, especially kids I guess as growing up, that would thrash you and beat you and that were you know, developed early for their age um, or on the flip side, their parent, their parents were just training them way too hard or a coach was training them way too hard. Um, so I, I guess I saw that firsthand competing against people like that and then having kids, I guess, that got to the age where they wanted to go down and try little athletics and doing that for two or three years with them, I, it was just like a blast from the past. It was just the same thing happening again. Parents that just thought they were awesome because their kids were winning but their kids were just training so much more than every other kid and 
yeah, just seeing the parents think they were pretty neat because they'd produced this gifted child when it just, yeah, it just irritated me. It, and I felt I, so many times I just felt like saying something to them. I never did, but it just would irritate me a lot. Um, and then to see young kids get injured and to see a physio tent, the Little Athletics has a physio tent set up so where, where young runners can just go and get physio. And to me, runners of that age shouldn't need physio. Like it's, you know, I understand if they've rolled their ankle or something's happened like that, but not because I've got a sore Achilles or a sore hamstring. That to me is just yeah, the overuse injuries. Yeah, it's just mind blowing. It blew my mind, and yeah, it's just the same thing. It's just history repeating. We we often speak with our children on that level about look at days and girls. You know, no one no one really cares or or will remember who who was the best at this event in under 10s, 11s, 12s, 13s because, it's a it, because it's not it's important. Exactly. And and you referenced it exactly. right, right on basically the premise is the people who train the most win and then all of a sudden yeah. once oh, the playing definitely. field levels out in that in those late teens and then hopefully into a yeah into a career or a um or just being a career person who who works in different industry but uses sport as a vehicle on the weekends and that to keep fit which you know not everyone's going to go on to the Olympics it's that's mm-hmm. really what sport's about ultimately is that continuance isn't it and, and in that article it in to- the article it that totally you wrote, is. yeah you, you've quoted i have never seen a child who trains hard and wins go on and succeed as an older athlete never and in particular there you've used capital mm-hmm. letters when writing the word never which demonstrates how strongly you feel about it can yeah. can you give us a more bit more depth about that yeah, well, I mean, like you just said, like I have never in my life seen a kid that is flogged um, at a young age, you know, go on to, to even be successful as a 16, 17, 18-year-old athlete. But, you know, they, I think for them physically, obviously, they, they burn out and they don't improve and you should be seeing a natural progression, a natural improvement, um, and that's what keeps people going. But also the mental side of it, you know, if a kid's out there winning everything all the time and then people start catching up and then people start overtaking them people start questioning them and you know all of a sudden they're not winning and they they don't know why and they feel bad about themselves and they're not enjoying it anymore they're not getting the pats on the back from their parents from their coaches from their school teachers you know from their peers and I think mentally it breaks them I've seen seen it so many times what kind of response did you get to that I got a fantastic response um yeah, so many people, you know, said that's that's just exactly what I needed to hear or, you know, I agree with you 100%. I got one negative response. Mm, um, cool. Yeah, it was just someone that said they didn't want to troll me online, but they sent me an email. I haven't responded and I'm not sure if I will, to be honest. Um, I've said my piece. I wasn't asking for, you know, I, I don't want to keep explaining myself, but uh, yeah. So in your experience, and you did mention it earlier in the irritation, I think John and I can probably uh, agree and, and sort of feel the same way about feeling a bit irritated by some of that behaviour you described earlier. But what role do sports parents and coaches play in this scenario of pushing kids a little bit too hard or a bit too hard too young? Yeah, look, I think sometimes it's the the parents that are driving it. Um, I, I think parents sometimes, you know, they're just living living out there fantasies you know through their children which is super sad sometimes I think parents have I mean probably majority of the time parents don't have any idea about how much is too much and I guess they put their faith then sometimes into a coach and and some parents stand back and it's the coach that's doing the flogging Mm. and the parents just you know trusting that the coach knows what they're doing 
But um, as you guys would know, there's so many coaches out there that don't know what they're doing mm. and they are just giving kids too much work and it's it's sad to watch. Um, but, you know, some parents are the drivers of it and they're the ones, you yeah. know, that are pushing their kids hard and, you know, I've seen it, you know, on both sides. Can you can you think of ways potentially in particular with coaches to help regulate that process a little bit better? Yeah, look, I think um, – I guess coaches, um, I'd like to think that they've got accreditation and they're Yeah, I'm assuming you know, they do too, but sometimes a piece of paper yeah. or a weekend course doesn't doesn't qualify you yeah. to look after people's <laughs> livelihood, does it? No, not at all. And sadly, John, like if a coach has success, if they're producing kid athletes that are winning gold medals at, you know, school events and, um, you know, national events, they end up getting more people athletes. gravitate towards. Exactly. So it's actually it's a, it's self-perpetuating. It's quite sad. It, it totally is. and. Yeah, I I think parents that do really care. I mean, I try and have as many conversations with the parents of the kids that I coach about. We just need to be patient. That it's a hard thing for a kid to to understand that they need to be patient. And I just say to them, just do the best you can on the smallest amount of training possible, and let's see if that's a sixth or a fifth. Because I said those kids in front of you are training so hard, and you will catch them one day. We just must be patient. So it's just educating the parents as well as the the kids. I just hope that the coaches out there are accredited and are constantly kind of reading stuff so they realise one day that what they're doing is damaging these young bodies. Absolutely. So what would you say are some of the key criteria that you use in, in your coaching methods? Like basically I try and just make running fun. Running such a lonely, it is. tough sport. <laughs> it it's, is. You know what? It's it's kind of boring. I, I coach adults as well and I say to them they're, they're women that have never run or they're coming back after having babies and I say to them, running's actually not, as you're doing it, no one's running going, this is so much fun. This is, it's the feeling afterwards that you get, yes. you know, that's, that keeps you coming back for more. And with kids, if you just tell a kid to go for a 3K, if I told my 10-year-old to go for a 2K run, even a 3K run, he would find that so boring because there's nothing exhilarating about no. it. Agreed. Um, so... So the tack that I've t- um, taken over the years with coaching kids is just to make it as fun as possible, to teach them correct technique um, and to do that in a fun way as well, just picking out a couple of pointers each session, just doing fun drills just to practice that, giving them a fitness session, whether you're focusing on endurance, if it's leading into cross-country season or whether you're working on speed, it's leading into a school carnivals, um, just making it. You know, yeah. so, so they're puffed and they feel like they've achieved yes. something, but you haven't flogged them. You you want them to feel like they've done something hard and just, I mean, the basics, teaching them that it is normal to feel very puffed, mm. that your lungs are hurting, that's normal. It doesn't mean you slow down. It's just basics that we just take for granted. It's so um, true. We often say to our children, you know, that they're not massive fans of running, but it's like, you know, that pain will go away when you actually hit the finish line. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not going to stay with you. You've just got to try and, you know, not they, it yeah. is understanding that it's, you know, it, they're not just going for a stroll in the park either. Exactly. And it's just also just teaching them about discomfort, like, you know, physical discomfort and it's okay and we need to feel discomfort to get better, to get better and better. And it is, it's understanding that, isn't it? It, totally. it is knowing that those feelings, as you describe them in inverted commas, they're normal. Yeah, and, exactly. And that's okay. Pain, pain's not normal. I do have a bone to pick with you though, John. Often, Sarah, I would run a race and, you know, obviously I can't compare myself to you, but I would, you know, re- go relatively okay 
you know, by my standards, yeah. and I'd walk off off the road or off the track or something. He says, "You look like you were running that hard. I think you could have actually run a little bit harder than that." Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, the, you know, the you know how it is Sarah, when you're yes. when you're in the green. Oh, look, oh, well, perhaps perhaps Tiffany is great at concealing pain or oh, concealing. I think so. Those, those things that we've described. I think and so. And there was no sort of grimace on the face. She quite yep. looked quite. She was running within herself. Let's say. Yeah. Oh my Let's put it that way. But um, yeah. Well, that was you're an adult then. You weren't a girl. You were, you were a woman by that stage for sure. I guess. Look, the focus of what we're trying to talk about today is training and training children. How does it typically play out in what you've seen and your lived experience for kids that that are trained too hard to serve? I think. What you see, we touched on it earlier, is that they they lose enjoyment because they're not winning anymore um, once everyone else catches up. And like a conversation I've had with a few parents who have asked, you get the people that ask you for your advice but they don't like it because it's probably 10 times less running than what they're currently giving their kids. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, they'll shop around until they find the right answer. But they And I say that's just too much and they say, yeah, but my kid loves it. They love it. They love to do it. And... All kids love it. If you're if a kid's succeeding and a parent, they love it because everyone is congratulating them. Everyone's patting them on the back. You know, they're getting, you know, their names read out at their schools. You know, they're getting names in newsletters. It's, you know, we, we do like what we're good at, but of course a kid loves it and they'll keep doing it to please, you know. And, yeah, I, I just, that that makes me really sad because I think, you know, I, it it leads to just injuries as well. I've seen some horrific injuries of junior athletes, mm. you know, stress fractures and, you know, they've they've done damage to their bodies that is kind of irreversible. Yeah, you, know? you, you need good bone density and, you know, I've touched wood I, I, throughout my running career. I never had a stress fracture. My bones were good because mm. I was nurtured very well as a junior athlete. But so many of, um, you know, and Tiffany would know lots of female distance runners that mm-hmm. just were, play, that were plagued with stress fractures because, you're laying down bone density till the age of about 21, 22. And, you know, once that time passes, unfortunately, you know, that's what you've got. And mm-hmm. If you're going to go on to be an elite athlete, you've got to deal with those issues, you know, for years to come. Sarah, you, you referenced then um, the nurturing that you had uh, mm-hmm. as a youngster. Could you give us a little bit more depth about that and, you know, when – your time from little athletics into, you know, becoming a little bit more specialised and and what kind of training loads you were working towards and and how that evolved? Yeah, I guess for probably the first half of my little athletics career, if you call little athletics a career. (laughs) A career. (laughs) Sounds a bit too serious, isn't it? Um, So I was doing gymnastics as well. So I I got to a reasonable level, but, you know, I'm a metre 72, so I was never going to be a fantastic gymnast. Um, I just never took it too seriously too early. And when it got to that point where it was obvious that I had a bit of talent, my dad spoke to one of the senior coaches here in Perth and said, what should she be doing as training? And I think I was 12 at the time. And she said three 2K runs a week. That was the training that she mm. suggested. And that, so that's all I did, you know, and I'd you know, sometimes have a sprint race with my dad at the park or something like that. But it wasn't until I was year eight, so 13 at school, I got my first coach um, and she was from a 400 hurdles, 800 type background. Mm-hmm. So she was a big believer in technique. Um, I did lots of hurdle drills. Um, we started a lot of strength training at quite a young age, just mm-hmm. body weight stuff. Um, and then as we got sort of 16, 17, learning correct technique in the gym with broomsticks and That's all great. that kind of stuff. 
Um, so I think my early years were just really about technique, to be honest. When I think back, you know, there's a bit of speed, a bit of technique. And she identified me and said, you'll be a, a long distance runner. You'll probably be a 3K runner one day. But she said, you need to be as fast as possible. Mm. She, you need to be able to, you know, so kick. You've got, kick. You've got to kick. So we are going to work on your speed. And I was really an 800 meter runner up until. I want to say until I was about 17, 18. That's what I identified myself as because um, that's what I we remember were. coming up against you in the 1500, I reckon, in late high school. Yeah. You're always, you're always the one that was ahead of everyone. <laughs> but do you know what? I hate- <laughs> you were the one to watch. You were the one to watch. <laughs> I hated, even though I knew I was going to be a long-distance runner, I hated long-distance running because we never did it in training. The longest reps we do in winter, I remember we do three 1K reps when we were like 16, 17. And so to do the 1500 just blew my mind. It was so boring. It was so far. It was so many laps. And I actually hated it. For me, the 800 was where it was at. And um, and I'm really thankful for, I guess, the approach that my junior coach, Lynn, Lynn Foreman, so. took because, you know, without knowing, without my parents knowing, they put their faith in, in her and so did I. And, you know, it was looking back, it was probably the best grounding that I could have had because, you know, my career lasted until I was 35 years of age. And, you know, Lots of injuries, obviously, amongst that and missed years, but my career was long, and I think it's because I was nurtured. Yeah, I would largely say that that's mm. true, and and with no disrespect to you, obviously, you, you, at your current age, whoever mm-hmm. that was 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 probably ahead, ahead of, the, of the, game. the game. Yeah, exactly. And whether it was you know just by default because that was her, you know, her strength was yes, you know, short her, distance her, hurdles yeah, totally. Yeah. Which is all about, as you said, technique and yeah. being able to kick and things like that. So that's a yeah. it's a perfect yeah. grounding, isn't it? Yeah. And to, to be honest, like I'm a big believer in gymnastics as well, not just because I did it, but I think every kid should be doing that kind of stuff, you know, up until kind of 10, 12 years of age, just getting, totally that, agree. Just getting that kind of strength with, you know, just doing body weight stuff and just, you know, learning how to control their body in space because so many kids come down to my running sessions and – it, it's very recreational what, what we do. I class it as recreational, but so many kids don't know. They, they can't move, you know. Yeah, they're they're, they're left and right. They, yep, they can't control their, control their limbs. And I think if gymnastics teaches that, mm. just learning to control your body in space. Sarah, you spoke about the good nurturing that you had as a, as a junior athlete, which is so awesome to hear. Is there anything you would have done differently? I mean, that career running, you know, at an elite level to your 35 is incredible. I think physically, no. Like I think... I think mentally I, I would love to have had more self-belief at times. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, I guess I was resistant back in the day to see sports psychs. It was kind of, I don't know, back in the day it was seen as a bit of a weakness if you yeah. went and saw a sports psych. And I look at the athletes today and I think, man, they're getting it more right, you know. Well, they're, it's part of the team really, isn't it, totally. sports psych? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So Piece of the pie. I would love, I think that was probably the one element missing from my career was probably working on my mental approach um, at times. Even though when you raced, you look like you were so focused and fully, uh, like, and I'm saying that as a compliment. Yeah, I think the belief, like in a middle distance race, you, you'll be in a race and, you know, maybe you just don't make the right choices to, you know, in your positioning or something like that if you don't quite believe in yourself, um, mm. which then I sort of look back at the Commonwealth Games in 06. I was just about to say to you, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm reminding myself straight away. Totally. And I think I'd spent a large portion of the months before in a hyperbaric chamber because I'd nicked my calf a little bit. And so I, 
in my mind, I wasn't as fit as I wanted to be. I like to be as, as hard as a rock, you know, going into those sort of meets. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's a, a massive meet. But I knew I wasn't, I was towing the line and I wasn't in the best shape I could be in and I was really pissed off about it. Like I was, <laughs> I was mad, you know. So I yeah. think... I think I just didn't quite back myself enough and, you know, I've, I've looked back at the tapes and I think, oh, where could I have got out earlier? And I, even looking back at it, I'm not sure exactly where I would have popped myself off the rail. I got caught on the rail until totally, 50 totally metres to go. But, but you know what? If I'd believed in myself more, I would have found, I would have found a way to get out earlier. Um, yeah. You shouldered your way through pretty well regardless. I did. I did. And when I had the medal presentation under the stadium, we were waiting and it wasn't, I can't remember the, it wasn't Prince. Who's the Prince that's in a bit of spot of bother? It was mates with Jeffrey Epstein. Oh. What was, what's his name? Oh. Prince Andrew. I think it's Prince Andrew. It is. He, yeah, it is Prince Andrew. He had a go at me. So we were down. I think he no presented way. my. Oh, it was one, you, of, one is, of the royals. One of the British princes. Runner. Yep. And he goes, you should have been disqualified. He said, you pushed your way out and yep, yep. And I was thinking, I can't believe a royal is giving me advice <laughs> on how I should have <laughs> Did you give him a stick, stick uh, to no. the corgis and I'll do the running? Exactly. <laughs> oh, no, I couldn't believe the height of him. But anyway. Yeah. So, so, Sarah, speaking of races such as that, obviously that's an important race and something mm-hmm. that John remembers. Um, are there any other races that spring to mind when you think through your career? Yeah, I think um, probably two other races that really stand out for me in my mind. Um in 06, so the Commonwealth Games were in March, so a, a major meet was usually towards the end of the year. So you were kind of just in Europe and picking out races to get ready for the big one. But because mm-hmm. the Com Games had happened in March, we had the whole European season just to go and have fun. And I thought, I'm just going to go and race as much as I can and just go to crazy places where I've never been and just try and see how fast I can be. And I was, I was a bit, little bit pissed off from the Com Games. So I had this, <laughs> I had this fire in my belly that, you know, I, I just wanted to prove that I was to myself that I was better than that. Uh, so, from memory, you, did you run fifth in the five thousand? I did, yeah, yeah, I did. Okay. So, yeah, I put myself in that, and still I, I was, spectacular results. Yeah, I was medal in a fifth. Wow, I know. So, I did get to run many five k's in my career. That was one of them, and I was there with a the lap to go, but I was just cooked. Like everyone said, they thought I was going to win because I'd have the best kick, but there was no kick to be had. It was, <laughs> I, was I was gone. But in 06, so um, yeah, I ended up in Monaco at the Mont- um, the big Diamond League, it was called back then. Mm-hmm. And um, the Russians were the force to be reckoned with in the years that I ran and mm. they were notorious for, for cheating and I think they all got mm. wiped, wiped out, I think, in, in 2008, yeah. So um, they would always request, they were the fastest, so they would request the pace from the pacemaker and they'd asked to have pace set up at 3.55 for the 1500 now. My best time wow. was four minutes. Um, so I knew it was going to be hot. So the gun went and not one of them went with a pacemaker. So sometimes they'd play games. like They'd say they want that pace, but they were just hoping to sit at the back and probably collect the cash. Um, yep. And I, I took off thinking I'm just going to give it a crack. And the pacemaker just kept going. No one came with me and I just sat on the pacemaker. And I, from memory, she dropped out with about, probably 800 to go, 700 to go, and I was probably about 50 metres in front of this, the rest of this world-class field. Um, and I could hear the commentator in French, and I, I can speak a tiny bit of French, but all I could hear was, Sarah Jamison, Sarah. And, I, and I, I could hear they were coming because his voice was getting more, more and more frantic. Oh, wow. That's cool. And with cool, about, freaky. Oh, with about 50 metres to go, 
I think two of the Russians, it was like I had windburn like that. He came past so fast. <sighs> it was ridiculous. Oh, no. And I ran, I think that's still the second fastest time I ran in my career and it was pretty much a front running. Um, what did you do by chance? I think what it was 401.3 or something wow. like that. That is moving. Yeah, and at the end, I got so much kudos for that race. One of the American coaches came up to me. He was like a black sprints coach, and he came up and he said, man, he goes, you've got the biggest set of balls I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, uh, I took it as a compliment, you know, yes. but it made me laugh, and it, it was. It was I was courageous run. You know what? And in your career, you, the stars have to align. Like the, the weather has to be perfect. You know, you have to be in a good race where you're feeling good on that particular day. And you're in good shape. And you're in good shape. You, you can't waste opportunities, and that's what I sort of came to realise. So I wasn't going to sit back and – Play games. I just cool. tried to give it a crack whenever I could. So that was one race. And in a city like was... Monaco too. So I know. Just that's a... mad. Yeah. What a wonderful city oh, that no, is. It was perfect. It was one of my favourite places to run. Um, yeah, the other race is Stockholm. So it was the race that I broke the Australian record in. And I didn't go out that day to try and break it. But again, just nice weather, good pace. And I remember going through to, to break four minutes or to run four minutes, you have to run 64 seconds a lap. And I remember going through the 800 and seeing the clock say 2.06. So I was two Ooh. seconds ahead and I, I thought, instantly through my head, I thought, that is way too quick. I'm going to blow up here. And then I, the minute that thought came in my head, I thought, stuff it, just have a crack. Like, just oh, find, cool. out, find out what's going to happen. I was just having a really mentally tough moment and I just kept going and just, yeah, held on. I think I came maybe third in the race or something like that and it flashed up on the screen, Australian record, and I couldn't believe it. And and all the Brits is amazing. All the Brits were lovely. They were the ones that you know, the girl that had beaten me. I think at the Com Games, she was there, and a few others, and they were so happy for me. And yeah, it was just a nice feeling. And some of my best awesome. Aussie teammates were there as well. So it was just nice to be able to celebrate and yeah, just get that record. It's a. Uh, it's funny you you talked about your mindset and your. Uh, you know, perhaps that that was something that you felt might have been lacking in your career, mm-hmm. and your immediate response when you saw two oh six was, "Oh shit, slow yeah, down!" Yeah, you know, until you until you're able to have a quick chat to yourself yeah. and say, "No, no, yeah, give it a lash." Yeah. You're feeling good and you're ready. It's um, yeah, that's they're great moments. Yeah, and I'm I'm passionate about. I mean, it sounds a bit bit weird, and some some young kids think I'm a bit weird, but when I'm coaching young kids. I just talk about mental toughness and I try and get them before we start a rep. I say, okay, everyone's going to be quiet now. No more talking. I want you to think in your mind that you're fast. You're going to run this rep so well. You know, I try and just get them to start mm. practicing positive self-talk, even at the age of, you know, seven, eight, nine, because they're a bit giggling and mucking around, which is, which is fine. Um, well, that's but, great. You know, I'm just trying to teach them and we've got this huge hill where we try and it goes for 700 meters and it's hard to get up and I'll take them there sometimes. I say, I don't care how slow you run. Everyone has to get to the top without walking. Your your mind will tell you to stop and have a walk, but it's such a big achievement if you can get to the top and, you know, and, and the kids are so buzzed when they get to the top and they haven't walked. They're so proud of themselves and I, I love seeing it. it. And it's not about flogging them. It's about, you know, just teach, giving them mental skills, mental tools to, to be successful in whether it be running or another sport or in life in general. We have touched on your coach and I think we'd like to talk a little bit more about your parents mm-hmm. and, and the role that perhaps they played in, in your sporting career and, and obviously particularly the beginning of it when you were young. Yeah, I think my parents, they were so supportive always and I guess um, you didn't really have the internet 
back in the day. Um, so my dad, you know, he was always going and chatting to coaches and just finding out what I should be doing. My parents were always involved in the sense that always be on the committees and, you know, they'd be helping to run the athletics. They were always great volunteers, um, drove me anywhere I wanted to go for, for running training. But, you know, they never interfered. They never tried to tell me what to do for training. Um, they were just sort of a, a loving supportive, you know, unit that, you know, I, I sort of look back and that's the way that I'd like to be for my kids. I'd hate to be one of these parents that you see out there, you know, screaming at your kids and, you know, push, you know, you hear those parents on the sidelines go faster. That That's not me. Um, yeah, I think I'd like to I think so be my parents' example and just, yeah, just be really supportive and um, give my kids as much opportunity as possible. We, we actually launched a podcast this morning with a, a psychologist and an author called Hamish McMaster mm-hmm. and he's developed uh, well, a number of resources but one of which is called Head in the Game yep. and it's largely around what you're describing in terms of, you know, positive mm-hmm. self-talk but also um, the succinct role that adolescents in particular see their parents playing mm-hmm. and literally what you just described is what he deems as the ideal yep. role. For a sporting yeah. parent, that's it's mm. pretty rare um, in athletics. I can't think of too many examples where a parent is the coach and it lasts for a long time and it's a successful, um, successful mm. union. I think it's healthy to have someone external, like being the coach, and to have the parent there, yeah, in the background. That's that's my belief, anyway. Great. So then, on that, Sarah, um, you know, and you have touched on it before. Now you have, yeah, four children. Crazy. Four children, and you mentioned that you're not the uh, the the sort of that person, sort of I guess let's call it screaming mm-hmm. on the sideline. How would you describe you as a sports parent, and what do you, your kids get up to? My my husband, he was a, an elite runner also, and I guess we're on the same page. We just want to expose our kids to as many sports as possible, you know, without being crazy and having them out mm-hmm. every day of the week. But yeah, up mm-hmm. until the age of twelve, we just want to expose them to you know, team sports, individual sports and just give them a taste of everything and, and then they can decide what what they want to do. Um, it, it's obvious from an early age that they're all quite good runners but um, I'd prefer they play tennis or um, golf or something like that. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we just about exposing them and, like I said, just making sure they're doing a good mix of individual and team sports just so they've got, you know, they just get a really good foundation and, yeah, they just learn as many skills as possible. How long have you been um, coaching yourself now? And how did you transition into that, Sarah? Um, probably in the twilight of my career, um, Lyndon Hall, who um, is a 1,500-metre mm. Olympic runner for Australia currently, she um, she needed a new coach and she asked me when it was probably the last year of my running career, so I started coaching her then. And then I just continued to coach her. I was in Melbourne at the time. I was moving back to Perth. Um, just because we'd had a young family and wanted to come home, um, my husband and I. So I stopped coaching her but then got back to Perth and a few of the elite guys here asked me if I'd coach them on the track. So mm-hmm. it, it started just kind of, I guess, continuing on the the elite side, but it's just so time-consuming when, when you do have a young family. So, yes, um, so I just started up a little, um, I call it a club, but it's just basically training sessions for, for adults, just recreational adults that just like to, to run for their weekly fitness and then for kids that whose parents want them just to improve their running technique or you know get off the couch and lose a bit of weight or you know 
get get faster for football or whatever they might, might be training mm, for. Nice. Um, so it's really it's a bit of fun, and like I said, we just try and teach them, you know, basic movements and give them a few tools so they can, yeah, run the best that they can, get the best out of themselves. Well, Sarah, we did have a, a little bit of a chat before we actually started the recording in regards to you know sport being a long game. Mm-hmm. Tell us what you get up to now and um, how you, you know, whether you still run yourself. Yeah, look, I love I, I love running. I think it's a bit quickest bang for your buck. Um, I can oh, put on I my totally sh- agree. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Put on the shoes and go for half an hour and, you know, I'll always do it in the morning, early in the morning. It just sets my day up to be a great day. I, I try and get out three or four times a week to run. I try and lift in the gym three or four times a week and I just enjoy it. I don't like it hurting myself much anymore in terms of running. I don't go out and sma- <laughs> smash out sessions or anything totally like that. Um, I might do a few intervals, but I'm probably running at about 70% of my max. Um, so I feel a bit puffed and satisfied, but um, I do still enjoy running and, you know, I see it as a way of catching up with the friends too. I've got some mm-hmm. friends that like to run and it's just a, a great social catch up and it's my sanity, you know, with four kids. I, I never run with headphones. I used to run with headphones. I never do anymore. I just like to be one with nature and hear the birds mm. chirping and just use it as my meditation. You mentioned lots of things along the way that we've discussed. If there was one piece of advice that you could give to sports parents, uh, what would it be? We may not limit you to one, but if you can narrow it yourself, that would be great. Yeah, I reckon to relax would be number one. So <laughs> don't get too carried away, you know, with your child's success. Um, I think it's just got to happen naturally and it's, I guess I'm talking – about a sport like running, there's so much water to go under the bridge before a person gets to the Olympic Games. I, I don't know what the average age is, but I want to say the first Olympic Games, people are probably between the age of 22 and 26. Mm. So there's a long time. If you're smashing smashing out the training sessions at 10 years of age, it's, mm-hmm. it's a, a long road. Um, so just relax and let your child just explore a, a range of sports. Um, I think – let them be well-rounded people. Yeah, I think that'd probably be my, my best advice, just to, yeah, just to chill, really. That's gold. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Sports Parenthood. Please leave a review, share with your friends, or visit our website, sportsparenthood.com.au, to connect. Catch you next week. 